Jesus? Jesus of Nazareth, that carpenter stonemason person who claimed to be the long-awaited Messiah of our people? Who mixed and even ate with known sinners? Who broke Sabbath observance? Who had the audacity to call many of our religious leaders hypocrites? That Jesus? I told them way back, after we heard the rumours about him raising Lazarus from the dead, this is going to be a problem, I said. If Jesus and his followers are not held in check, if there's some kind of uprising, mark my words, the Romans will move in and destroy us. Or at the very least remove me from power for not keeping the people in line. So I, Caiaphas, the high priest, son-in-law of Annas, the former high priest, made the speech of a lifetime. You just don't seem to realise, I said, that it's better for all of you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. And from that moment you could say that his fate was sealed. And it was slightly easier than I thought because it was one of his own who delivered him into my, I mean, into our hands. Yes, I organised his hearing. Well, okay, maybe I had a hand in more than one. Okay, there were six. Three religious, three civil. Although I have to say that it didn't all go exactly as I planned. It took a while, but we did finally get the result we wanted. In his first trial, Jesus stood before my father-in-law, Annas, who had been the high priest for 13 years and who still wielded quite a bit of power. He'd been removed from his position by Valerius Gratus, Roman procurator of the time, for imposing and carrying out death sentences. You see, under Roman law, we had certain powers. We could pass a death sentence, but we couldn't carry it out. That power belonged to the Roman occupiers. And just so you know, crucifixion had quite a stigma attached to it because it not only took a life, it destroyed a reputation, which in this case was very important. You see, under the Mosaic law in the book of Deuteronomy, we're told that those who are hung on a tree are cursed. Anyway, I digress. Annas interrogated Jesus about his teaching and that upstart of a Nazarene had the nerve to challenge the way the trial was being conducted. So he got a well-deserved slap for being impertinent and was bound and sent to me, to my home. Okay, you could say there were a number of issues about how things were being done. Things were not totally in line with the guidelines that govern the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, when they're hearing cases. Cases were supposed to be conducted in daylight hours after the morning sacrifice, not at night. Trials were meant to be public and held in the Hall of Judgment in the temple area. I suppose if we pushed it, we could say that the first two were preliminary hearings, not the main event. Also, someone was supposed to speak on behalf of the accused and we weren't supposed to take into account anything the accused said against himself. Oh, and we were supposed to presume innocence and even argue for acquittal until accusers and corroborating witnesses leave us no alternative but to convict. But there were extenuating circumstances. There were time constraints. It was Passover, the Sabbath was coming, all sorts of things. For my part, I had lined up a number of witnesses. Yes, there were paid witnesses. 
and for a couple of them I did offer some well-rehearsed stories about the Nazarene, which I expected them to repeat word perfectly when they were asked. But it began to fall apart when all they did was hum and haw and completely contradict one another. In fact, their stories so contradicted one another that Jesus stayed silent the whole time, didn't respond to any of their accusations. And well, I know, and so did everyone else, that two contradictory statements rendered both invalid. Things were becoming a farce. So much so that I finally stood up and interrupted the proceedings. I, the high priest, questioned the prisoner myself. I wasn't meant to, but I was so frustrated I decided to cut to the chase. Are you the anointed one? I asked. The Messiah, the Son of God. Then the Nazarene broke his silence with an astounding reply. You have said so. But I say to all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. I was stunned. Clearly he was claiming divinity and his words indicated that a conviction was very much in order. I jumped up and tore my clothes and said, we don't need more witnesses. This man has uttered a most heinous blasphemy. What is your verdict? The vote among those that were there was unanimous. Death to the Nazarene Jesus. Then some there began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists and said, Prophesy, who hit you? And the guards took him and they beat him. Only thing was, while we could pass that sentence of death, we couldn't actually carry it out. We had to get the Romans to do that for me. I mean, for us. Well, he dared to defy my sovereign control over the temple. Only days before, he'd overturned the tables in the temple and called it a den of thieves. If that wasn't a slur against me, another threat to my position, my power, my authority, I don't know what was. Just after daybreak, 70 members of the Jewish council met and confirmed their approval of the sentence. So all was in order, and he was duly bound, led away and handed over to Pilate, the governor. Of course, death on religious grounds wasn't going to cut it with the Romans. And so treason and rebellion, crimes for which the Roman government gave the death penalty, were laid on the table. We made it simple. We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. It should have been straightforward from there. But after questioning him, Pilate declared, I find no guilt in this man. I couldn't believe it, but I think he was afraid of us causing an uproar. So he decided to pass the buck. And because Jesus' home was in the region of Galilee, Pilate sent Jesus to Herod Agrippa, the ruler of Galilee, who happened to be in Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. Seems Herod was eager to see Jesus do one of those miracles he'd heard so much about, but when Jesus remained silent, he decided to have a bit of fun with him. Had him dressed up in an elegant robe, a bit of mockery to entertain. And when Herod wanted nothing more to do with him, he sent him back to Pilate. I had the impression that Pilate wasn't too keen on us for making him part of our plan. And he certainly tried his best to get out of condemning Jesus. 
Having listened to Jesus' testimony, pointing out that his kingdom was not an earthly one, but a spiritual one, he tries to provide a way for Jesus to be spared. So first he tried to compromise with us and our demands by having Jesus beaten. Then he tried to get the people on side by using the custom of setting a prisoner free. He gave them the choice of Jesus of Nazareth or a well-known criminal called Barabbas. I think it stunned him that they chose Barabbas, shouting that Jesus should be crucified and getting louder and louder about it. He knew that another uprising in his district might cost him his job, so he finally gave in and, after having Jesus flogged, handed him over to be executed. Pilate's self-interest was stronger than his sense of justice. A man after my own heart. He tried to wash his hands of the whole affair. He made sure that there was a written sign on the cross that Jesus was finally hung on, stating that his crime was claiming to be the King of the Jews. He tried to put all the responsibility for the condemnation of Jesus Christ on us, so we mockingly accepted it. Yes, and not just us, but our children too, we said. But he probably did it to avoid having trouble with Rome. I don't think anyone will remember him or the Nazarene down through the years. But me? Well, I, Caiaphas, the high priest, they'll remember me. After all, I had headed up an investigation which had resulted in the gathering of evidence, the arrest, the trial, and then the verdict of death for this cursed Galilean named Jesus. I'm the one who recognised what a threat this man was to our society, the disruption this man might have created between us and the Romans. Rome likes to keep things quiet and everything under control, and I like my position as high priest. There's only one cloud on my horizon, and it involves one of my servants, one of the temple soldiers, a man by the name of Malchus. He was with those who went to the garden that night to arrest Jesus. It was immediately after Judas betrayed the Galilean with a kiss. One of Jesus' other disciples, an impetuous man named Peter, drew a sword and cut off Malchus' right ear. And Malchus swears that the Nazarene touched him and immediately his ear was healed. But no, it's not possible that he was who he said he was, is it? Anyway, it's all over now. We'll never hear of him again. He'll soon be dead and buried. It was as I said. It was to our advantage that one man died for the people rather than that the whole nation be destroyed. And good riddance to him. From John 11. Caiaphas didn't say this of his own accord, but as chief priest that year, he unwittingly prophesied that Jesus was about to die sacrificially for the nation and not only for the nation, but so that all God's scattered children might be gathered together into one people.